you know, it, it, Cassandro really saves his life. This character that he creates, this superhero character that he creates, ends up saving him and ends up, you know, not only does he have to learn how to look, you know, stick up for himself, how to, how to, how to, um, love himself. Um, um, and he has to, you know, break away from, of course, from his father and from this, you know, this like sort of feelings of rejection and alienation and abandonment. Um, but Cassandra starts to save him, you know, but Cassandra could also destroy him. Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America. In this episode, an amateur wrestler gains international stardom in director Roger Ross Williams' biographical sports drama, Cassandro. The film tells the true story of Saul Armendariz, a gay amateur wrestler who rose to fame and became an LGBTQ icon after participating in Lucha Libre wrestling matches. In addition to Cassandro, Williams's other directorial credits include the documentary features The Apollo and God Loves Uganda, episodes of the documentary miniseries The Supermodels and The 1619 Project, and episodes of the documentary series Freedom. He was nominated for the DGA Award for Outstanding Directorial Achievement in Documentary for his 2016 film Life Animated. Following a screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Williams spoke with director Dee Rees about filming Cassandro. Listen on for their spoiler-filled conversation. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming out on this rainy, rainy Saturday. Well, it was a gorgeous film, so they were they were richly rewarded, so <laughs> it's a really gorgeous film. Um, I'll just jump right in because, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Um, One of the things that really jumped out, first of all, thank you for making this. It's the film. I didn't know I needed, but wow. Thank you for doing this. This is a huge honor for me because I'm a big fan of yours. (laughs) Okay, well, fest later. But like right away, like in the opening sequence, you set up this kind of like conflict between uh, the masked and the unmasked, right? The luchadores versus the exoticos. And so, so much of Saul's kind of inner journey is about this battle between the masked and the unmasked. And I thought it was brilliant, like in the scene where he shaves his mustache after that first moment. So I wonder if you could talk about that theme and how you wove that into the structure of the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so um, the exoticos don't wear masks and they're usually played by straight men playing effeminate gay men who get beaten up. So it's a total homophobia. Um, and uh, um, Cassandra, the real Cassandra, I should say that I started this because I made a short documentary about Cassandra for the New Yorker series on Amazon. Um, so that's how I got immersed in it. Um, so uh, Cassandra, um, he, um, this, you know, the for for me, you know, he was always this sort of you know out proud gay man, you know, accepted by his mother, you know, which you saw rejected by his father, um, but you know he was 
you know, living as as a luchador, he was he was living this like this lie. So in the um, you know, and he was taunted, and you know, in the beginning of the film, how he's uh, um, and uh, the the I'm glad you got the mustache shaving because a lot of people don't get that. It was obvious. It was like, yes, he's unmasking. He's like, yes. right away, yeah. Yes, like a lot of people don't get that. Because um, it's all like, it's in the beginning and you're just getting into the world, right? And you're you're getting oriented. Um, and that humiliation is a motivation for him. You know, that that big, so he's motivated now. Um, that, that humiliation that he faced and shaving off his mustache is the beginning of his journey. Um, and that's the first step in his journey, you know, and, and, you know, and drives him to go and meet, seek out Sabrina, seek out his trainer. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, as, and then it just, you know, he becomes more and more unmasked throughout the film, you know, until he's fully, it's real. it's almost like there's Saul and there's Cassandra and they merge, those two, his, you know, it's a, I, I think of it as a superhero narrative, whereas he's creating the superhero and he merges and his, him and his superhero persona become one. Right. Yeah. yeah. No, that was that was like brilliant. And I love the part where um, I think it's Gerardo, his uh, lover. There's a part where he's like, oh, I hate when you talk about him like he's a real person, you know? Yeah. And yeah. he was like almost like rejecting this new part of himself. Yeah. Of there's, there's a big merging moment when. Um, when he, when they're in bed with the sex scene, um, and he says, um, I think Cassandra's a top, um, that's, you know, Cassandro coming, Cassandro's coming out more like he's coming out, um, to, in a, um, you know, he's in this relationship and it's a love, it's actually a quite a loving relationship, even though it's a, you know, obviously it's a troubled relationship. Um, but that scene is key when he says that, um, and that scene um, so uh, I did the Sundance Directing Lab. That I know that you did it. I, you know, and it's very intimidating. And for me, even though I've made a bunch of documentaries, uh, I, um, you know, I was terrified of actors. And, you know, I was just terrified of making a scripted film. It was just so scary for me. Um, and so Redford... It was his, um, he's, you know, he's sort of at the end of sort of his uh, mentorship, kind of, he, he, you know, his, where he goes and mentors at the lab, but he picked my project to mentor. And that scene, the sex scene, uh, I was like sitting with Redford at lunch and he storyboarded the sex scene. He drew the sex scene out for me. He said, it's really choreography and storytelling. And he drew it out in the back of my of script, my script pages, which I framed and hung in my office. Wow. <laughs> but, but, but speaking to the way you shot it, you can kind of almost feel that sensibility that you bring from nonfiction, like a lot of profile shots, a lot of the backy shots, which I just aesthetically just like love generally. And I really like love the color space. Like it reminded me of that old Kodak, like I think it was the 5279 or the 5218. I forget which stock it was, but it reminds me of that old like stock. And I was like, uh, the color space is just gorgeous. So I wondered if you could talk about how you and your DP set the look of the film and settle on that. Well, it's interesting because I, um, I did a color, um, like a color palette for the film and um the warm tones of when he's home with his mother uh we shot on those panavision um vintage lenses 
and the warm tones when he's home with his mother, uh, the red in Mexico City, the the red, the like excitement, you know, he's in the nightclub, but all but Mexico City's red. But it slowly becomes as he becomes more triumphant, it moves more to yellow, um, to yellow and gold. And by the time he's with Santo, he's in that, you know, crazy and his train gets longer and longer. You know, there's also the progression of the costumes along with that. Um, the the costume design the costume that Maristella Fernandez, who just had a big big profile in the New York Times about her. Um the just brilliant, you know, how he starts off in these cut off, you know, homemade shorts and get and and as he progresses as Cassandro, his costumes become more and more elaborate, his makeup becomes more and more elaborate. And when he's with Santo, it's like boom, over the top. Um so I did a color palette. My DP um he when he he was like I was interviewing DPs for the job, right? And he did a whole like a I had a I had this whole like kind of lookbook and color palette. And then he did a lookbook and he presented to me and a color palette and it was exactly the same. So I was like, that's it. You guys I know. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and as you're talking about the costume design, it's like you use that to kind of like, you know, tease out the relationship between Saul and Yocasta, the uh, mother, you know, and you know, in a way he, you know. I, I love that as a device that took us back to his childhood and took us back to him admiring her, but then also not just being an admiring little boy, kind of realizing or recognizing something and who he wanted to become. And then he surpasses her. And then, like you said, he has the big trains and the he develops a voice of his own. It's that That's about, you know, that leopard top, yeah. you know, him taking back that... You, his power because of this humiliating moment memory that he has of his mother, you know, being humiliated at the picnic. Um, and, uh, he, he takes that top and he, he finds power. The, the wonderful thing about, um, Cassandro is that he finds power in all the, in all these painful things and all these painful moments. He uses it. He uses the taunts of the audience that makes him stronger. It's almost like he's a superhero and that's, that's his power. It's feeding him. So the more they're calling him, you know, fag or puto or like screaming at him, he's, he, he takes that and it just feeds him and he plays off of that. And, um, he wins over the audience but he wins over the audience because he's also because he's a good wrestler. Like he's amazing. Like the real Cassandro is an amazing wrestler. And Gael actually spent maybe six months training with real luchadors. Like Gael did all of his own stunts. Wow. Yeah, I was gonna say like like also like one of the things that we we realize is that lucha libre is is like as much as is scripted. There's also choice, and I feel like we see that come into play in the first match that Cassandra wins, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, it wasn't in the script for him to win, and you know, one guy chose to leave, and one guy chose to be like, all right, we're gonna give you the win. So what? And and that that also could be like a thematic thing in terms of his life, and he's the conversation like the father, and then this was scripted for you versus what your choice is. So I wonder if you could talk about that kind of parallels between lucha libre and life, and that. Yeah. Um, uh, well, you know, we um, when we were um, uh, writing the script, uh, it was a very different film, you know. So we, when I went into the lab, often, you know, when you go into the lab, it was a different film. It was so 
campy and over the top because I was like really leaning on, you know, I just was like playing up the, the whole Lucha Libre and the spectacle of it. And it was all about the spectacle. And then um, one of the advisors um, said to me, um, Doug, Doug, um, Doug Wright said to me, um, it's really this emotional um, story of um, a mother and a son and the son's yearning for love of his father. And that's, and, and those are the, the heart of the film. You don't need, Lucha Libre is already like over the top. You don't need to play that up. Mm -hmm. You don't need, it doesn't need to be campy. Mm -hmm. And that was like, so, you know, you shoot at the lab, you shoot five scenes. Mm -hmm. The first two scenes were like, I was like, oh, this is terrible. Mm -hmm. um, the, um, but I got it by the third scene and which was the sex scene. And um, I, I remember Redford said, this is the perfect scene. And Christine Lati, who was an advisor, started crying. And um, I realized I had had the tone that it was this, that the contrast of this deeply emotional story, this personal journey um, of, of Saul was really the heart of the film. And the and the matches just serve that. And, and I, I think of the wrestling matches as little short films because because in each of those matches tells a story. Each of those matches that there's a progression, right. you know, as he wins over the audience, as he um, as he and he gains as he gains confidence within the match. You know, you see the audience turn and with him like you see their first they're like, you know, faggot, they're screaming at him. And then he he wins them over with his charm mm -hmm. and um, and with his actual with his moves. Mm -hmm. um, and so the matches, um, I realized, were really storytelling. They were like part of the storytelling device. And um, but it was really those emotional moments, those emotional scenes with his mother that were really and it was and, and, and Gael was like, you know, we've got to play this soft and quiet, you know, and um, Yocasta, mm -hmm. who is, plays his mother, La Perla, um, it's her first film. Wow. She's, she's never acted before. She's from Juarez. Mm -hmm. um, so she's, she's a authentic, you know, mm -hmm. she, and her family, she comes from a long line of um, uh, women who crossed the border to work in in, in El Paso and as a domestic, mm -hmm. and uh, so she really understood who Yocasta was, mm -hmm. um, and she just played it so well. You know, it was she just she was just amazing. I just thought she was just amazing for her first film. Yeah, I mean, you you, you really completely nailed the tone because the, some of the more arresting moments were when he was preparing backstage, when he's putting on the makeup and he sets up the shrine, you know, and then you get that this is like a meditation, you know, and, and, and as you're saying, in his demeanor, he goes from, you know, trying to mimic the aggro attitude to like, he started smiling his first match when he's like smiling and you're as you said he's alchemizing the fear and the hate into personal power um it just really absolutely came through and um i was actually gonna ask about the relationship the mother and son it seems like you know you could read it as like codependent i, I wonder what your take is on like what was really happening in that relationship the mother had this pathos and it wasn't quite sure you know so 
you know, I, I, don't I think know. it's complicated. I think, I think it is complicated. I think it is codependent because she's yearning for um, this man she can't have. Um, but she, and what she has is the son, you know, the, the son of that man. And I took that from my own, you know, we take a lot from our own lives. Right. So that was me. I was um, single. It was me and my mom. Um, she had had an affair with a married man who had a family and we would go and park outside of his house and watch his house and watch him and his, that, those were, that really happened to me. And I was sit, would sit there so humiliated. So, and I was like, I'm going to write this into the script. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you feel that, I mean, you feel like she's making him be the, I mean, he's choosing to be the partner in a way. Right. And I mean, but that was complicated and when they go to the swimming pool and they almost have this borrowed dream, you know, yeah. and, and like that was a moment. I mean, there were a lot of moments that I, I was trying to not cry and I was like, God damn it. I'm not going to cry. But <laughs> that was one of them. And, um, that relationship was sticky. And even as, you know, he said goodbye to her, you know, I thought, oh my God, how's he going to survive? Like, he's not going to win anymore. Like if he was living for her, like, how's he going to make it? And so, um, yeah. That's good that you thought that because that's yeah. exactly what I, what I wanted is yeah. that, you know, how is he, when he has the breakdown in the hotel room, you know, like he, how is he going to go on? How is he going how is he going to find the strength? And he does breakdown, you know, in, in the fight with the biggest fight of his life, the big moment of his life yeah. often happens in the big moment, your biggest moment, you like crack, you know, and that was really important to have that, that flashback, all those, um, all those memory, the memories of his mother's body laying there in the, in the traditional ceremony in the bedroom, um, you know, his, you know, Gerardo, his, his, uh, boyfriend, all of that, his father, all those images coming back and just like freezing, you know, and, you know, and, and that was, that was so key because he, 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 he hadn't like sort of, you know, got past, um, his mother's death and and everything that's going on in his life um but he triumphantly came back right yeah and and, <laughs> and i thought it was brilliant how you kept the the kind of uh tension of the combativeness outside the ring i was more afraid for him outside the ring than in the ring so when he first meets lorenzo i'm like lorenzo's as bad as gigante and you know and he's not he doesn't have he's not going to play by the rules so it's like but it's like that wasn't the thing i was like, oh this is going to be the thing lorenzo's going to mess him up that wasn't the thing when he meets the kind of playboy in the bathroom like oh this is going to be the thing but I, I was more concerned for him with men outside the ring versus inside. So I wanted to talk about, was that a conscious choice and that, you know, he's never safe sometimes, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, Cassandra really saves his life, you know, Cassandra, this character that he creates, this superhero character that he creates ends up saving him and ends up, you know, because he has to learn how to, you know, not only does he have to learn how to look, you know, stick up for himself, how to, how to, how to, um, love himself. Um, um, and he has to, you know, break away from, of course, from his father and from this, you know, this like sort of feelings of rejection and alienation and abandonment. Um, but Cassandra starts to save him and he, you know, but Cassandra could also destroy him. So it's like, it's like a, a, a tricky thing because he's in a world that world is a very shady world. Um, the world in Juarez, Juarez is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. 
um, because of the cartels. And so in that shady bar with Lorenzo, you don't know what's going to happen. And actually there was a a scene that we cut out where um, he gets beat up. Yeah. You know, I took out all of the um, the sort of uh, that sort of gratuitous violence because I felt there was enough unsaid. You you could feel you there's like you said, the you could feel you didn't need to have yeah. the, that a whole sort of, you know, violent scene. He gets a, attacked by another wrestler um, who's upset that he's like, you know, you know, as a exotico, you know, trying to win. And um, and there's a whole, but that 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 came out because it was really the tension is already there. I'm glad you felt that. Yeah, I mean, I was relieved because I because I kept bracing for it. Like, when's it gonna come? When's it gonna come? When the tub with his boyfriend, he's like, oh, people are talking. You know, you're doing too much. You know, I was like, oh, now it's gonna come, but it's gonna be the boyfriend. Like, I kept waiting for who is the person who's gonna like you know hurt him. You know, and I was relieved that you know well, there was there was a, another scene that that um is because it's cut out um where. Um, his boyfriend hits him when they're when they're when he's doing the kind of comic thing and they're running around the car and they end up on the floor. Yeah. Well, his boyfriend they, in the script, his boyfriend punches him. But we at the moment, this is this is my documentary skills. At the moment, I was like, no, 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 kiss him, mm-hmm. don't punch him, kiss him. That like se- that like sexual tension, mm-hmm. you know? Um, because I, I as a documentarian, this is something I learned from from um, Bob. Um, Bob Redford, is that um, I, to lean into my documentary skills because I'm flexible as a documentarian. I'm shooting real life. I have to go with the flow. And so I can like sort of on set sort of chart, feel the emotion of how a scene is going and change things right there um, according to how, you know, how it's feeling and how the actors are interacting with the and how they're. And, um, and I do that a lot. And I and I noticed that, like when I was in the in the lab, a lot of directors who went to film school, and I didn't go to film school, and I'm self, you know, I'm self-taught documentarian, and um, that they were unflexible. You know, they were like, okay, we're shooting one giant fluid master for this, and not change. That's my that's my vision, and I'm not changing. I was very flexible in changing things all the time. So it was always this, it felt, I mean, in a way it felt a little bit like I was making a documentary, maybe because I had made a documentary and because I knew all the details of the real Cassandro, you know, I had all these details in my head, but then I had to throw them out. I had to like, I couldn't be like, you know, married. I couldn't just be, be married to them. You know, I had to like let them go but I also had to be very flexible on set. That's just it was. That's just my nature as a documentarian. Yeah, and there's and there's such a wealth like going into it. Imagine of I mean, there's a wealth of artwork, of visual arts and performance art around this subject. So I wonder who like some of your influences were in you know as you built this world. You know, like visual artists or performance artists that you know kind of. I mean, it on. was um, it was it was really spending time. El Paso is a very and Juarez, they're very visual places, and that world is like mind-blowingly visual. So there's this the murals of El Paso, there's murals and the murals of Juarez. Um, but really, when I um it really like the whole idea to make this film really hit home for me when I went to, with the real Cassandra when I was making the documentary to uh, fight in Juarez. Um, it's this huge arena, thousands of people. 
we come in, you know, backstage and these guys, these macho, macho luchadors are hugging and kissing him. Like, like they want to hang out with him. And I'm like, what, what is going on here? And then, um, you know, and then he gets dressed and does his makeup and he did the ritual. That's how, that was the first time I saw the ritual. And, um, and I was like, oh, cause he's, cause the real Cassandro is like, he has like every spirituality, every spiritual thing. He is Catholic, he's traditional, like he's everything. And so he did the ritual and I was like, oh, that's just a great, that's just like a great detail. And then when he still came out into the stadium, his theme song is Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. We use Celia Cruz in the movie, but it's Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. The whole, he, they were handing their babies to him to kiss. They, they were handing their babies. He's come on stage. He he takes the stage, the whole stadium, the, their whole lucha, they're all singing I Will Survive. And I'm like, what? How is this happening in this macho world that they're and so I started to cry. I just lost it. And I was I was crying and I was like, this is it. This is my first scripted film. This is this world, this story, it there's nothing like it. And I just fell in love with the story. And and then, you know, I noticed, I started noticing, you know, all the colors and all the it's it's, you know, and and so it's really all based on the documentary that that's really what inspired me most is yeah. uh, is the is real life amazing and then and then thinking about that right so in narrative you're casting it right and so i would love to i mean your casting process i want to know about cuz raul castillo pedro Ardo, uh, joaquin cosia roberta calindres Perla de la Rosa, Gael, Bad Bunny. I mean, this is a beautiful ensemble. So if you could talk about your casting process and how you built, because it, it all works. You, it, you all believed it. It all felt like they were together. So how'd you cast? Casting this? is everything, you know, as you know. And um, uh, I, it started with Gael, of course. So um, the first day I met Cassandro and I saw that fight and I was like, that's it. You're my first. I said to to, to the real Cassandro, you're my first scripted film. And um, and that night I went to a uh, with my crew to a tequila bar and we were playing it. We were like, oh, who could play Cassandro? And I was like, oh, my God, Gael Garcia Bernal. There's no one else who could play Cassandro. Yeah. You know, bad education. Eat to mama también, of course. And um, so that was, you know, the first. And but I had to get guy. I had to like. So I, I stalked Gael. <laughs> I basically stalked this man. Um I was um, on the board of governors of the Academy of Motion Pictures, Arts and Sciences. So um, one year he was playing, um, he was in, uh, he was in this film called Coco, mm -hmm. um, this Disney animated film, and he was performing at the Oscars. So as governor, you get to go to the rehearsals and I'm at the rehearsal, he, rehearsal and he's, he's rehearsing uh, his number. And I go up to him after he gets off stage and I'm like trying to pitch him the film. And he's like, I, I'm rehearsing for the Oscars. Uh -huh. This is what is, so like, Okay, that didn't work. Then um, second time, um, I was nominated for a documentary and we were having our like a celebratory dinner a couple of days before the, the Oscars. And uh, we were in this restaurant and Gael was in the restaurant having dinner with oh friends. God. And so I go up to his table. No. Oh, it's the worst. Oh, no. I go up to his oh, table. No. Yes, yes. And I'm like, um, excuse me, uh, I'm the guy who um, I, I tried to pitch you. I tried to talk to you about this at the, at the Oscar summer. And he's like, you know, he was nice, but he was like, you know, he's having dinner. He didn't like send a bottle first. Like, you know what I mean? So It's so terrible. And then 
the third time, it was three times. The third time, it was the Governor's Awards yeah. where they give the honorary Oscars out and they were giving an Oscar to Inaritu. And um, he's at the table with the Mexican mafia. Right. Like all of them, you know, they're all at the table. And, and I was like, and I went up to the table and I tapped him on the shoulder from behind. I said, excuse me, um, I, I'm the guy, I have this, and no, no, I said, I said to him, you hang with the cool crowd. Oh, it was the worst, most embarrassing line. And he said yes to you after this? So, so these, three, three, these three humiliating moments, then I realized that, like, wait, my agent can get me a meeting with him. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a meeting, and he said yes right away. You know, I pitched him in the meeting. We said yes right away. Okay. But so, so Guile was first. Um, and then, um, you know, and then I think the next person I cast was um, La Perla, who plays um, Yocasta. And uh, what was really important to me was is authenticity. You know, maybe it's because I'm a documentarian, but authenticity was so important. All the luchadors are real luchadors. Mm -hmm. You know, they are, I, uh, you know, I cast them, I audition them, but what is what is um, Lucha Libre? It's, they're acting anyway in the yeah, ring. Right. So they're just playing themselves. They're just playing themselves. We gave, yeah. we created those characters. So I, um, so they're all real. Um, La Perla, it was important that she was authentic. And as I said earlier, she's, you know, she's from Juarez. She did local theater. You know, she had never done a movie. And Luis Rosales, who's the casting director, he cast Roma. And he discovered Yalitza, wow. who was nominated for Best right. Actress. Okay. That was her first film. And he goes, I got the next dis discovery. He, nice. He's brilliant. And um, uh, so that was like so exciting. You know, I, we, I, when I screen tested her, I was like, oh, and the chemistry between them was um, amazing. And they were trying to get me to, you know, to, to cast these, you know, famous um, telenovela actresses and stuff. And I was like, no, we're going with this authentic. Um, Raul Castillo, Raul is from, he's an amazing actor. Yeah. He's from Texas. He's from the yeah. border. So he grew up on the border. He knows that culture. He knows that world. He's authentic to that world. And he can do a mean sex scene he because was he, was, he was gorgeous and hunky. Yeah. But then, you know, yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he was in Looking, HBO series. Yeah. He knows how to do a sex scene. Um, so he's looking at a lot of sex in it. So um, and he and he played that. He came to the lab with me. Actually, he's the only only actor that came to the lab. Um, but I was like, he's, he's, he has to be in my movie. Um, and, um, Bad Bunny, <laughs> Bad Bunny called us and was like, he's a big wrestling fan. And this was his first film. He had, um, this was before Bullet Train. We shot before Bullet Train. Yeah. So this was his first time on set acting. Yeah. It was amazing because he's such a natural actor. Yeah. I mean, he's acting. He, he told me, he's like, well, what do you think Bad Bunny? It's a character, a character that right? he yeah. created. So he's acting yeah. anyway. Um, and we moved the schedule all around so we accommodate him. But like, it was so, it, I, he was so good and he was so easy to work with. He, was, yeah. he wasn't, you know, you get over quick, pretty quickly that it's actually Bad Bunny. Yeah. Even though he did, um, we were sh between takes of a scene, he dropped a, a single to 59 million people sitting next to me. <laughs> I was like, damn. Um, um, but so, so that authenticity of the real luchadors, actors who are from the border, even the, 
even my, like my production designer, JC Molina, is a gay a Mexican-American man from the border. Mm-hmm. You know, they all come from that. Because because it was really important to guys like we have to be really authentic. Mm-hmm. And um, of course, I, you know, so and I, I, I totally agree with that. So that was really the my in my head when I was casting. It was like authenticity, 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 because it's a very particular way of talking. It's a very particular dialect on the border. Mm-hmm. Um, and you you got to sort of, you know, that had to be nailed. That Yeah, there's complete fluidity. You know, you never heard the script, you know? And it, it, you just Good. feel like oh, you're like eavesdropping that's, in a that's conversation. That's compliment. Yeah. You never heard the script. <laughs> so that I'll just end on actually one of my favorite lines from the script. They don't let exoticals win. Because I felt like you took that and that became like the mantra that then got upended and flipped and like that could be like a tattoo. Um, And I wanted to say that, you know, in Cassandro, you've shown how bravery can alchemize fear and hate and the personal power. And you made a beautiful film. So you let the exotical win. It's beautiful. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. That means so much to me coming from you, who's who I admire so much. And, uh, you know, this film, the, the it's really about. The lesson for all of us to take off our masks, be our authentic selves. You know, it has this universal lesson. It's not, it's a lesson that everyone, you know, be yourself, you know, love yourself first, you know, because nobody else is going to love you unless you love yourself, right? So that's the, you know, and, you know, when that's the story I wanted to tell, because I wanted to tell an uplifting story about someone from the a gay community. Um, Because there's so many depressing stories about, you know, there's so many films that are just so about trauma. And this is about this is a triumphant story. And uh, that's why I made the movie. Absolutely. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. The director's cut is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share, subscribe, rate and review. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow film buffs find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. 